The 100% Wild Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the nation's number one GPS hunting app. Download today in the Google Play and App Store. Hey, hunting junkies. Welcome back to another episode of the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Tim Chelsvik. I'm Matt Drury. And we're proudly brought to you by the Onyx Hunt app. And this is the only outdoors-related podcast that's hosted by two artificial intelligences. What's that supposed to mean? We are not smart. Ah, <laughs> okay. I'll go with that. I was going to ask you what hunt, what a hunting junkie was. It's someone that spends most of their life either hunting or thinking about hunting, sometimes to the detriment of other factors in their life. Family? Could that be one? Yes. Okay. I know a few people like that. Work, school, <laughs> relationships. I know several people like that, actually. <laughs> it's not hard to get that, that far into it. Awesome. It kind of eats you up. So we got a pretty awesome guest today. Before we get to that, I want to discuss the fact that it's still raining. It's still not getting any better. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I think most uh, rivers have crested, it it it's literally, it still keeps raining. So the crazy thing about the Merrimack River where we bow fish a lot is that it is beyond flood stage and it's not raging. It's just sitting there. It's like yeah. a lake because it's got nowhere to go. It, yeah. The water's calm. It's smooth, but it's way, way high. It's just strange. I've never seen it that way before. So now with the water so high, aren't they pretty muddy? Well, and, that's, and how's the bow fishing? The water's kind of filtering out like the sediment is, is sinking to the bottom. So it's actually not as muddy as it ought to be at this stage. <laughs> so the bow fishing isn't bad. The problem is finding a ramp to get on the river. Oh. Most ramps are shut down. Well, couldn't you just kind of get off the highway and <laughs> let guy it could, in? A guy could do a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. So. Water patrol may have something to say about that. Oh, they gotta find you first. <laughs> <laughs> we had a, a helicopter light us up one night. We were out bow fishing. It was like nine or ten o'clock at night, and all of a sudden, the middle of the boat just lights up with brilliant white light. That wasn't and a helicopter. That was a UFO, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> that makes so much sense now. I lost four days worth of time, forgot my name. Dude, okay, this is a crazy story, but I don't know if I'm even supposed to tell this, but turkey season, this has been years and years ago. Dad and Coondog swear that they were somehow abducted or something with a UFO. <laughs> I, I, this is serious. They were heading. I, I think they were drinking a little too much the night you before. Think? I don't know because they say that they were heading to their spot. It was, they were somewhere near Kirksville. It was in the morning. It was early in the morning. And before you knew it, they both said they, it was like, like a, a you know, instantaneously. Nanos, yeah, instantaneously they were miles down the road from where they both were and they looked at each other and they're like Bill and Ted's excellent well, well, adventure. So I don't think they spoke about it at the time. Uh-huh. And then somehow I'm sure around cocktails, some other night down the road, it got brought up. That is a hallmark and, of the abduction experience. And, and they're, like, they're both like, dude, I didn't know, you know, this happened, but I thought I was crazy and they swear Weird. by it. Both, yeah. Both of them swear by it. I, my buddy and I legit saw uh, a UFO when we were in high school. Okay. We were camping out on, on his deck in front of his house. We tra- like he lived across the street from me. So it was midnight. We we're going to sleep. I was laying down in my sleeping bag and he's like, Tim, what is that? And he pointed in the sky and I looked up and I saw it kind of looked like the moon, but it, 
but the moon was over there. And so I put my glasses on and sure enough, it was this just perfect circular disc in the sky. It was paler, like it was, it was paler than the moon. And it went from the western part of the sky to the eastern part of the sky in just a f- just a second, and then just kind of sparkled and disappeared. Well, it must have covered like twenty miles just in that yeah. short little. Well, they like the military just came out. Was it the Navy or I forget which branch of the military who just came out and and admitted to? Now it doesn't mean that it's an alien. It's just oh, a, you just a, don't know what un- it is. Unidentified mm-hmm. flying object that, that that they've been seeing or they that they have seen or whatever. So, and, and anything that they say they have, you know, they like that's 20 years in yeah. the past. Like they've yeah. got crazy stuff that yeah. we have so no idea. We about. got way off track here, but the guest that we're having on today, this is the kind of conversation I've been in a few bars with this guy and I, I guarantee you he'd be right in there on this <laughs> he's conversation. probably got his own abduction he's stories got, I, he's probably abducted he's got people abduction stories but they're <laughs> totally way out there different not not alien way <laughs> we've got the 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 godfather of ground blinds i like that keith That's awesome. Bean, director of product innovation for gsm what's up keith <laughs> Good afternoon, guys. I love this conversation. Artificial intelligence, and I think Tim said we're just not smart. I'm not sure that's artificial. I think that's just lack of intelligence. That's it. what I was thinking, but I'm too <laughs> dumb to figure out the connection. <laughs> uh, I, I like the alien abduction. I thought when you were getting ready to segue right to me, I was like, and this guy, he looks speaking, like he's off of a different Speaking planet. of alien abductions. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the guy that hides in the ground blind. <laughs> <laughs> well, to come up with that idea for a ground blind, you had to be doing something <laughs> crazy. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, tr- trust me. <laughs> okay. The, the, so the I, career of baseball and WW Granger didn't pan out quite <laughs> as, as planned. I, uh, I don't and, know that and, most people know your background. Could you kind of d- date back to how you got into the hunting industry and, and how you, cause you started double bull blinds, right? With a partner yep. and, yep. and uh, really changed the way that we hunt today mm-hmm. and, and to think what ground blinds are in today's hunting realm, you see them everywhere. Yeah. So you guys at the time, I think it was pretty revolutionary. I don't know that you knew how revolutionary though. Did you <laughs> No. In fact, uh, I was nuts about chasing. I was working for WW Granger and I was a branch manager out in Fort Collins, Colorado. And I caught wind that you could buy two Turkey tags over the counter for Nebraska for bow, for bow hunting. And they gave you this like three week season. So I was a traditional archer at the time. In fact, Fred Eichler and I and Don Ward and Brooks, we all shot traditional. Uh, until I blew my shoulders out, I, that, I would have just stayed with a stick and string, but I was trying to kill turkeys in Nebraska hiding behind cottonwoods and hiding behind blowdowns and Russian olives and putting canvas, you know, tarps and whatever, and trying my desperately. And I was always trying to figure out a ground blind, something that you could pop up. And I met a gentleman by the name of Steve Stumbo in Fort Collins. I was an aerodynamics archery shop there. And uh, he showed me the workings of this hub. And I asked him if I could buy it. And he said, uh, well, it's like $800 if I buy you, build you. He had a prototype uh, cotton blind. He's like, it'll be $800. No, I want to buy the idea off you. And that's where it started. Um, I actually purchased the idea off him. I paid him royalties the whole time that uh, Brooks and I owned Double Bull. And it was super cool. We were actually thinking we would keep our jobs with Granger, and this would just be kind of a hobby, you know, a way of killing turkeys with archery equipment. And we never realized it was going to be used as a viable tool in all the, spe- you know, all the species, 
both bow hunting, both gun hunting, and then especially for mentoring. So this actually became a decision of, hey, we got to get out of Granger and do this full time. And that was in 1994. So 1995 was our first archery show or trade show. I think it was the uh, Stan Shear show or AMO show. But uh, it was a long time ago. I don't think probably any of you guys there were probably born. Uh, <laughs> but that, that's how it all got started was I was looking for a way of coming up with a commercial grade ground line that I could hide from the turkeys and kill them with my recurve. What was the reception and, like back then? Because it was definitely a, a revolutionary design. It was, um, it, it was really kind of crazy because people loved watching Brooks and I set this blind up in five or six seconds. And, you know, the hub system, once you have it mastered, I mean, a lot of people talk about footballs and monkeys and, and all this stuff, but there's some secrets to it. But once you have it mastered, it's a very simple technique to put a ground blind up. So we would go to these retail or these uh, consumer shows and we would set these things up and then tear them down really fast and set them up really fast and tear them down. Well, we were in great shape because you're doing burpees all day long, but we actually won more money off of people at like the Texas Trophy Hunter shows betting guys I could tear that blind down in 10 seconds. So they weren't really buying blinds. They just wanted to watch Brooks and I act like circus monkeys. <laughs> right on. But it worked. So, it worked. So what year did it actually start taking off for you guys? Uh, Nebraska was the golden state. I think it was about 1997. Uh, we got a hold of a gentleman. Uh, Archie was his name. He took it to the Nebraska Bow Hunters show and he demonstrated it there. And I think we received about 40 or 50 orders. And at that time we were doing maybe one or two a week and you were selling them out of the archery shop because it was, I'm going to step back a little bit. I'll give you guys uh, uh, the ebbs and flows of Keith Beam and Brooks Johnson. If you really want to touch history, <laughs> we were both doing very well with the corporate world. Okay. With WW Ranger, we got a new vice, a new president in CEO or whatever came in and he changed all the rules and we were moving right up the ladder very fast. And this guy came in and he would say, you know, stupid stuff. Like if you don't have a college degree, you can't be a branch manager. So all these guys that have been managing these branches for 30, you know, 20, 30 years, they were losing their titles because they didn't have the sheep skip. Mm. Well, it pissed me off. Can I say that? Yeah. That's a podcast. podcast. (laughs) So I sent an email. This is right when emails came out. This is like 1993, 94. And I sent an email to Brooks that said, and I was talking about the CEO of this company, 50,000, you know, deep employees. And that my email read something like this. I'm going to shove a frozen popsicle with fire ants up his ass. Well, you if can't he ever say that. A decision like that and let them eat their way back out. So it was really <laughs> funny. I came back from lunch and there was like four of these black suburbans parked there. And I go in there. It's like kind of like the FBI, but it was Granger. And it was their whole human resources um, division. And they're like, we read your email. And they said, well, I, I, I didn't know you could read my emails. Well, that's when you learn that there's <laughs> no privacy nice in emails. So they're like, well, we were going to terminate you. Well, I had a terminally ill child at that time that I had met back from Minneapolis Children's Hospital to Omaha Children's Hospital to Denver Children's Hospital. And I said, you guys are a $4 billion company. I have moved my critically ill child three times for you. I write one email about a guy that just came in completely off the streets. He's not been any part of this company. And you're going to fire me for that? I said, well, we'll wait to see what a court of law says about this. And so they asked me to resign. So I am no longer working. 
Well, Brooks was the recipient of this email, and he's in Minneapolis. And he said, he calls me up and he goes, they just fired me. And I said, oh, you should have given them the, the wounded story about the child. You know, I said, they let me, they paid me to the end of the year, and then they get to resign. So him and I were both out of jobs. And we we were actually, we both got divorced because we were trying to build this blind company. And we were actually living in the back of Aerodynamics uh, on air mattress in, in the back of his archery shop. And we did that for a year and a half. We ate nothing but uh, like rice out of a tube of quart Pyrex jar with a can of tuna. And we joined a club, so, a health club, so we could shower. And we, we'd work out seven days a week so you could, you could uh, shower just to stay clean. And that's how we did it until... We did that from 1995 to 97 and 97s when we finally started, you know, we used to sell one blind at a time at the archery shop and all of a sudden Nebraska came in and now, now we're selling blinds. That's, so that's, so that's incredible. You've, you've paid your dues. That's what you're saying. I have paid my dues. Yes. <laughs> and this yes. circles back to the hunting junkie part. No doubt. He's a hunting junkie. Yeah. Like anything it takes to do what you're passionate about. So, yeah. It it, it it takes off for you guys, and I I know that you know for for us at Drew Outdoors, it was probably mid two thousands. I think when we were at the time, it was a mare step when we were starting to do a lot more ground blind hunting, and uh, I think I think probably we had adapted it from maybe Jay Gregory. I, I don't know, so, somewhere in there. And I know you're good buddies with Jay and um, I'm sure Mark and Terry noticed what you guys were killing with, you know, with ground blinds and it just changed the game in a lot of ways and it allowed you to put something where you, you couldn't before, mm-hmm. you know, that's, was, a, that's exactly it. And, and see, that's that it was supposed to be a hobby. You know, it was it was supposed to be a good way of shooting turkeys. Then all of a sudden, you know, Jay was figuring out ways that if you cut your corn or if you combine part of the corn, you throw this blind up, brush it in with corn stalks and all these deer are walking in front of you on this cut portion. Well, we started killing deer and Jay was killing him and Tammy were killing gigantic deer in the Iowa, Missouri mm-hmm. quadrants. And they were doing it out of ground blinds on same day sets. You know, this was really my intention was a way of me beating turkeys. And from like 97 to like we said, probably 2002 or 2003, it was one heck of an apparatus for a mentoring new people going turkey hunting, but getting people into bow hunting turkeys and and just slaughtering turkeys. I mean, it's taboo on them. And once people started figuring out ways, and it wasn't me teaching them how to do it. It was Jay teaching me. It was guys telling us secrets. It was all this conglomerate of, of new ideas and new concepts and way people were trying things. But all of a sudden, we were killing big game animals. And I mean, big game animals out of these things. I mean, guys were using them to kill the herd bull and a herd of 50 elk where there's no way you ever call them all in with the cows. They're putting them up on a water hole and, and the cows come in and drink and this big bull lurks around. And they zap him. You know, this, this thing just exploded. Why did you guys call it double bull? I often have wondered <laughs> that because I knew well, you were turkey guys. Yeah. I didn't know where that came into it. Double bull is the center of a bullseye on a dark target. And uh-huh. when Brooks and I were working at Granger together right out of college, uh, we threw a lot of darts. Now, we didn't drink a lot, Mom. We just threw a lot of darts. Sure. And we were very good at throwing darts. Well, we decided to come up with this paper target, and then we'd shoot it with our recurves. And we would, you know, you could play cricket in 301 off of this thing. But it was, it was a dart target. 
and we named our company Double Bowl. And it had nothing to do with elk. It had nothing to do with hunting or huh. tents or blinds. All it had to do with was the double bullseye, you know, even though a triple 17 will beat at any time, but that's where it came up. Awesome. Nice. I, well, I always wondered that myself. Sure. Tim. I was, <laughs> a lot of people I was going to ask that question it. too. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, he was going to ask that question too. He said he's a liar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just I, whatever. So what's wrong with you? Should, a liar? You should ask that question. Maybe you would ask. No, actually, uh, tell us it, a different it, answer. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody just thought it was two guys full of bull. Ah, so. that, that makes sense. That makes more sense. I remember yeah. seeing videos. I don't know if it was you or Brooks, but like doing backflips with yeah, and landed on your head. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's yeah. what I re- first my first memory of you guys in okay. that company. <laughs> You see this? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's a torn ulnar nerve in my in my um, elbow. I, I have been titled the most accident prone person in the world. I've wrote a book about it. It's on Amazon. It's called That's Gonna Leave a Mark. That's funny. And <laughs> one of the things that um, you'll notice about me is I, I was kind of insane. And Brooks and I were filming this bit on the blinds about wearing black inside of it. So you blended in with your surroundings so you wouldn't get busted when you raised your bow arm, you know, and all this stuff. So I and I played pro baseball and and I played uh, other college sports as well and and Brooks knew I could do these backflips and I could be sitting there talking to you and I'd spin and do a backflip and just keep my conversation going like it was nothing like I didn't even do it and I hadn't done one in probably ten years and I was walking out of the blind and you're supposed to say this line like you're flipping crazy if you're not wearing your ninja gear that's actually good that's verbatim actually and um, so I was supposed to come out when then Brooks goes. Hey, can you try one of your backflips? Well, I did one and I stuck it and then I kind of wobbled and I said, no, I'm going to do a different one. I'm going to do another one. And I came out and I did it and I didn't even jump. I just threw myself backwards. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll show you the loop here. You guys will see this. I'll get this for you. I did a backflip. I lit on my head, ruptured my larynx and gave Ooh. myself a really good whiplash on video. Yeah. Were there other people around watching or were you guys just filming this for the... We're, we were just filming it. So we went immediately to the emergency room because I couldn't talk, I was talking like this. You know? Kind of like you got a blow hole in the cigarette problem, whatever. You yeah, know? still That's how I was talking. And um, so we get to the emergency room and, and they're coming out there and they're bracing my neck and Brooks just playing the video back. Well, Brooks and I were both kind of crazy and we didn't have a whole lot of respect for life each other or anything like that mm-hmm. and Emails. so he's he's laughing and he's got this great contagious cackle it's like <laughs> it's like a burt reynolds if you guys are old or know a burt reynolds yeah. and he's showing this this emergency room doctor my video and the doctor's like it's amazing he's alive that little disc in his neck could have broken he's coming over there of course he's coming over there. he's chewing my butt out now i'm laying down with a brace on my neck brooks is laughing about this and he's chewing me out what well, was the day before thanksgiving and all I said was, give me enough painkillers because I play golf with my brothers the day after Thanksgiving in the turkey trot. I can't be worried about whiplash. And, of course, they did, you know, a cat. we didn't have MRIs. They did CAT scans on make sure I didn't really break or do something to me. And, and I golfed the tournament on like this, taking a lot of ibuprofen. <laughs> so. Stephen Hawking on the course. Why yeah. does it sound that yeah. way? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, Heath, you mentioned dressing in black and that, that had to start somewhere. So uh, the- it did. I, I, it, we had a camera um, and we put a link cord on a high camera and ran it out. We got a chance to hunt in Texas and we ran it out past like this Sendero they were feeding or this feeding station. And so we put this camera out there like 
70 yards and we were going to film the deer, you know, and the arrow going through, you know, you saw some of the Fitzgeralds do that back in the old day too, you know, passing through or whatever they called it. And so Brooks and I were going to capture this. Well, these deer would come in and they'd be eating that corn and you'd see us rise up and you would spot it on this high camera from 70 yards away. And here's what, what it is, is your bow hands, the closest thing to the animal, you know, most guys are right hand. So you got a ring finger smashed on there as well. If you're married, but you'd, you'd see this bow hand come up, your face would move a little bit, your back elbow would rise, you know, cause it was hot and we were hunting in t-shirts, but we were giving ourselves away. So we decided what if we started wearing black in these black back blinds and doing what camo does? You know, camo, you're supposed to match your surroundings. And so we're going to match our surroundings in the blinds. So we started wearing solid colors, uh, had some face masks made. And all of a sudden, our success rate became crazy. You know, those animals that are sitting out there 10 or 15 yards away when you're completely in black in a black blind and with everything closed off behind you, you can pretty well get away with murder. And that's how that came about. So. That's where during that fall, we learned that little project. And that's why two days before Thanksgiving, um, we decided to do this ninja thing. And on, uh, you're, you're flipping crazy if you're not wearing ninja gear. Just imagine it. if they would have had YouTube when you were. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> You'd be a star by now, like a superstar. <laughs> no, I'm just glad they didn't have cameras back then. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way about social media in my childhood. It yeah. would not have been yeah. good. Yeah, Tim, I'm sure you were real crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just say I'm glad I have two wonderful children, 11 and 13 years old, and I am so glad that there weren't camera phones back when I was growing no up. No doubt. It, it's funny yeah. because because we are living in a point in in the outdoor industry and and hunting where there's so many things that it's it's easy to take for granted. But someone had to think about these things. Someone had to innovate to create this. And and now we just kind of oh you know pop up a blind here and yeah. set up for turkeys. It still blows my mind that a turkey will walk right up to a ground blind and not think and anything you can of it. Put it out literally that morning. Yeah, it's <laughs> you, can, you, can put it out, thing. you can put it out in a parking lot. If there's a hot bird and kill him there, the, the, I asked, um, I want to say his name's Brian Lovett Jr. He was the NWTF biologist. I asked him at one of the trade shows because I had gone from getting busted all the time, trying to draw my recurve, hide behind a cottonwood to all of a sudden sitting in his blind shooting everything at five yards. And it, it didn't make sense to me. You know, I, I turkey hunt, I cut my teeth on turkey hunting, going to college in Arkansas, and, and we hunt these swamps and stuff for these, you know, public land birds. And if you moved your earbud trying to twitch because of a mosquito chewing on you, you, you would hear the putt, putt, and gone. You didn't even know he was there. Now I'm sitting in a ground blind and the turkeys are strutting up and brushing up against it and going underneath the tie cords. And I mean, right here in front of you, so close that you're, you're screwing up shots because your arrow is lower than your sight. We should touch base on that one. You guys, I need to write that little note down, but I couldn't believe it. And I explained it to Brian. I'm like, why am I killing these things? And he explained it to me that a turkey is either missing part of its rod or part of its cone in its eye. And it doesn't really have that great a depth perception, but everything is in focus. So he's constantly moving his head or she's moving her head because they're taking all these pictures. And he said it would spook you. If you're staring at a photograph and something moved on there, you'd catch it no matter what. Mm -hmm. And that's how a turkey sees it. So you've got these beautiful camo blinds, as long as they're not flapping in the wind. And these birds are walking out in the middle of these fields and walking up to your decoys. And it, it's it's just amazing how how it really is taboo um, on, on this species that is so weary. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. Well, so you brought up a tactic about bow hunting from a blind. We should probably hop into the question of the day and get into that. Absolutely. So the question of the day is brought to you by Plano Outdoors. Protect your passion. Yes, my name is Timothy Crum. I live in Salina, Kansas. I was wondering just what you think is the most important factor when changing from tree stands to blind hunting. I've just uh, recently had a knee injury, and and that's kind of limited my hunting out of tree stands. So uh, looking forward to hearing some answers. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Do you, are you guys going to interject or you want me to say something? Yeah, I would love to hear your opinion here and, and uh, kick it off, buddy. Okay, so here, here's what his name is Tim, right? Yes. Uh, Tim, here's what I would suggest doing. When it's a good spot for a ground blind, hunt the ground blind. But in those locales that you used to hunt with your tree stand and it's, it's perfect for the tree stand, you know, Kansas isn't necessarily a great example for this, but I'm going to talk about Iowa for a second. You're in this giant oak mot where you've got all these giant oak trees and it's perfect for tree stand hunting because they'll mill around and whatever. Those are the places you don't want a ground blind. Okay. I know you want to be in there. But a ground blind in that kind of area is going to stick out like a sore thumb. Everything in the world is going to stare at it while they're feeding around. You want to use the ground blinds on the edges of things. You want to set it up where the animal is actually going to walk past you quartering away. You know, when we got started, we used to think, well, the the deer are going out to this soybean field. Let's go set it up in the middle of the soybean field. Well, they come out and they're, they're staging, they're staring at you and they're not going to come out. You know, it's going to take them a couple of days. So if you're transitioning from tree stands down to ground blinds, think about where they could be going that you could put a ground blind and catch them quartering away. OK, and when they're doing that, they're, when, when they're walking down a trail, they're not staring at that thing that is silhouetting light through the woods. They're not staring at that, you know, obtrusive thing that just got set there. They're, they're looking at where they're going and you're off to the side. Now, this is where you come into this 5100 rule, and this is kind of an imperative rule. Brooks and I, sorry about that. Brooks and I, can you guys still see me? Yep. Yeah, you're good. I touched the screen. Brooks and I, um, we, we ran the rule of 5100, meaning if it was so thick, you couldn't see 50, 75 yards. You want to brush it in, but you want to do it naturally. If it's wide open where you're seeing larger than that, put that thing up against a cottonwood, maybe lean one log over it, but leave it out there. Don't try to brush things in. I mean, if you take it and you set it next to a giant cottonwood with a great little deadfall by it, and you tuck this blind in and it looks kind of different to you, like it's never going to work. It may just work because they're going to see it from a distance. They're going to forget about it. You know, we've all seen it. You park your truck and there's there's deer tracks and, and turkey tracks right by your truck. You know, a fresh snowfall right after that. You know, anything that they can look at and study and relax, they're okay with. But when you try to hide something, let's say you're up there in that cotton or you're out there on that cottonwood tree. You went and cut all this corn out, brushed this in. And now this is beaver dam in the middle of this bare river. Um, it, it's not going to work. Um, so really be cognizant of that 5100 roof. It's really thick. Brush it in, but do it naturally. If it's wide open, back it up against a tree. Kansas is one of the greatest places to set a blind next to a, a clump of trees and get a decoy out there in front of you. You know, anything that you can do to kind of, I don't want to say distract, but also just take that attention and push it away from the blind and onto something within bow range is, is just dynamite. 
Go ahead. I was going to say, what is your, what's your ideal amount of time you like to let a blind sit to kind of soak in and let, let animals become accustomed? And then what's the bare minimum that you would leave it sit? I've killed the two biggest deer of my life on the same day sit and I got a ground blind. One in Kansas that I found a, 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 um, I found a set of tracks cutting across a little pinch point and I sat up that afternoon and killed my largest deer. And I shot him at 30 yards. He had no idea. He jumped the fence doing his regular trail. I mean, his tracks were gigantic. Joshua and I were there, my cameraman. I can, I'll show you that piece of footage. We, we set it up and killed him in three hours later. I mean, it was it's crazy. Same thing with Jay and I in Iowa in a cut cornfield. So I don't have a set time. I think it's it's if you're on private land and you have it, you're never going to hurt yourself leaving your blind out there mm-hmm. unless it snows on it and collapses it. You might break some rods, but you're never going to hurt yourself if you feel secure enough that your blind is not going to get stolen yeah. or, or destroyed because of inclement weather. If you are, you either have to make the adaptations, you know, put a pole in the middle of it, tie it off. So it's not going to blow away or whatever, you know, and, and hunt it that way. But if you kind of run that, that, that rule of thumb of if that animal is going to be coming out from left to right and going out to that field to feed, and it's going to stage out here. I'm coming back. I'm not on the edge of the field. I'm coming back about 10, 15 yards. And I'm going to watch this animal come here across the blind, you know, left to right, going out in front of my face this way. And it, it's going to be quartering away. And same thing for a setup coming back in the morning. You know, they're leaving that field and they're leaving it right, let's say, right at daylight or right before. It. You got to get back in there and then catch them, you know, coming back through that way. Mm-hmm. But a blind can't be set up right down a trail. You know, if, and be looking right where they're at because they're going to bust you every time. Yeah, I killed a, a buck in Illinois two seasons ago doing exactly that. We had uh, put the blind up probably around lunch mm-hmm. one after one or mid mid to late morning one day and went back in for the hunt, you know, at two o'clock and it was a super moon that, that night and shot him and <laughs> literally nice. doing exactly what, what Keith mentioned. He was coming out of bedding and yeah. going to the food and he was quartering away. It was Paid no attention. No, first we had a get, get pie, you know, the does came out first, of course, mm. and probably six or so does and they looked and they looked, but they accepted it and kept feeding and sure enough he came out behind him and boom that's all she wrote and that was that blind couldn't have been up two or three hours so and it wasn't that we brushed it in a lot i mean it had a little little bit but it wasn't it was just that it was tucked managing that profile yeah it was managing that profile so it it's crazy how how well they work and guys are taking it to different levels now too so it's kind of a hybrid of maybe i can't afford a box blind you know the Mm -hmm. high-end muddy penthouse or bulls or whatever given away in july exactly but maybe i can build a platform and get some elevation out of my pop-up blind and a lot of guys are having a lot of success doing that as well. Uh, so it's interesting. I don't know if you would have ever dreamt that back when you guys started it, that people, what all they're doing with these blinds to be successful. Yeah, well, and that's how we learned, you know, and, and that's kind of, it's the fun way that I do all my speaking seminars is not, I don't go in there and tell you how to do things. I like to listen to what people say. And it, it's amazing what tips and tricks and tactics that people have tried, people have failed at, and people have come up with that really, if you take a look at it, it's that information that's priceless. So as long as I have somewhat of a memory, I, you know, I can fold all that in and then disseminate it out. But it's, it's, you know, as I get older and I'm, climbing up on that uh, title that 
you guys better, you know, milk my memory for everything that I've got. Otherwise, you'll just be setting the blind out in your driveway and shooting Nerf darts at neighbors. So moving forward, you know, what, 20 something years from 25 years or so from when you guys kind of came out with those blinds, you know, you're working, you, we mentioned you're the director of product innovation over at GSM. Of course, they now own Muddy and they have all kinds of different pop-up blinds. Right. And at the ATA show this past year, you were show, here in just in January, you were showing us some really cool new tech and innovation that you guys are coming out with. Give us a sneak peek into what is coming out this year for GSM and Muddy, uh, Muddy in particular. I'll talk. I'll talk the high end first because it, it's kind of fun. Uh, we have an Infinity series coming out, and I don't know if Ben has even told me that I'm supposed to allow this information out, but I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> it has it, it has the one way shadow mesh viewing system, so. Uh, very similar to the Primos with their surround site, you can see out, nothing can see into you. The neat thing about our system is, is Ben and I work really closely together on this project. And when I've spent my whole career in a ground line, the last thing that I want to do is either not be able to see stuff coming in and it surprised me or see stuff come in but it's not in the shooting hole that I need to get and take the shot. So, you know, you want the ground blind to work for you. If, if I want to watch animals, I'll go to a zoo. And if I want to sit where I can't see anything, you go to Africa and you sit in one of their huts. But so this, <laughs> these infinity series with the shadow mesh allow you to taper, allow you to uh, manipulate open windows, shut windows, mm. um, and, and really customize these units how you need. If you're hunting a Sendero in Texas, you can have one port open for shooting and you can see 270 other degrees around you of animals coming into it. You know, so once they step into that open window area, you're good as gold. You know, this net is not shoot through. So, so don't, don't try to attempt it. It is a very stiff acrylic uh, net and it, it's, it's not meant to be shoot through. So just keep that in mind. You know, in one line on the infinity, the infinity two, uh, it has a really thick bendable wire mesh so that you can bend the windows and you can make different, uh, like obtrusive shapes oh, cool, yeah. that you just don't see in a normal blind. You, you know, you normally see these straight horizontal lines. So it, it's very, very cool. Their footprint is larger. Their fabric is super durable. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's one of the things I think it's the top of the line when it comes to hub blinds. I think, I don't think anybody can touch us. Hmm. Yeah, they sent. That's what the prototype we have over here that they sent into okay. the studio. So it, it's pretty unbelievable. And cool. when Dad and I checked it out, you know, it was like, holy cow, this is a game changer. Hmm. Totally. It, it, one of the things that I, I I don't think people pay enough attention to is the seat that they're in in a ground blind, especially if you're archery hunting, because that can really make or break yeah. whether or not you can draw, whether or not you're stable, whether or not you're comfortable to sit all day. So, Keith, what about tips for your seat when you're bow hunting out of a blind? I love the seats that have a swivel. And the reason I do is because you always want to be poised for action. You know, I don't want to sit here and look over my shoulder all day. We used to do that out of those triangular chairs. You sit here and sit here and sit here. That way, when you can draw, you put your hand forward and you're good as gold. I want to be able to swivel and do that. And when you do that, you just always want to set your chair up and people put it. Oh, you know, I watch it all the time. They put it in the center of the blind. You don't, you know, that that's where your working space is. So if you're left-handed, like I am, you're going to be on the back right side. I think 
Hey, your dad's left-handed, yeah, isn't he? he is. Yeah, so so he's going to be back on the back right side of that blind so that when he turns in that swivel chair and he comes down, he's shooting basically through the center of that blind out into that corner of that window area. You know, if you if you sit there and you position your chair, especially if it doesn't swivel, if you position it facing forward, all of a sudden something shows up, you can't draw your bow. Mm-hmm. I've seen it and told – I've talked – Many people through the idea of, wow, what do we do now? Now I'm pulling their arrow back for them and helping them get drawn, and they're trying to reposition in their seat. Rather than just set yourself up, as I call it, poised for action. You know, that animal's going to be there. My bow is in front of me here. If that animal steps out, I'm just simply swiveling in my chair, and then I'm shooting right down, right down across my body rather than try to contort and, and make some magical shot. Well, those muddy chairs are pretty slick. They're swivel chairs. We got one here yeah. in the office, actually. It, I mean, it allows you to go up or down and high yeah. and swivel, and it doesn't make any noise. Now, it's not one of those things where you're going to want to pack all that stuff in because yeah. it's that they do make a folding version of it. Yes. Uh, it's yes. a little bit yeah. heavier, though. Uh, but, you know, yeah, it, it, but it, it, it gives you that option, and that's, that's what yeah. you want. You know, it's got four legs. It's going to spread out on most soft pan ground and work just perfectly, but it's going to give you that ability rather than sitting there with your neck twisted to be staring out, staring out, yeah. want something, you see something coming through there. You know, you're turning your body and, and you're getting poised for action. I always struggle with the lawn chair, the fold out lawn, you know, the, the one that everybody brings <laughs> to soccer because it's so <laughs> loud. You can't, I mean, it's constantly, no matter what you movement you make, you're going to make some noise in it. And if you talking, you were talking about those triangle ones, they're, they're better from the noise standpoint but good golly it hurts to sit there oh, yeah, all day yeah. on those that's, suckers that's a great two-hour chair and that's max yeah mm-hmm. yeah you know, that that's and they are they're, they're quiet but you have to sit with your head turned this way yeah if you're going to be poised for action i can promise you you do that enough days and you'll drive home like this <laughs> <laughs> it's so important once you get into the blind and, and timothy if, if he's going to be doing this this fall to sit there and think about where you think the deer or turkey are coming and and draw and actually kind of go through your shot sequence to just see how because because I, I think Keith, you mentioned pulling out some magical contortion. You pretty much overestimate what you're capable of. As, especially if you're sitting there for a long time and you're stiff or you're cold, you're not going to be able to contort as much as you think you will. And you want to be comfortable and know that you're going to make a good shot when the time comes. And realistically, you should be doing that. And no matter what your setup is, you're a tree stand or blind or whatever. The first thing that we always do is get in and, and mm-hmm. once we're settled in, you know, hook up to the bow and draw back and, and figure out what your range of motion is. And nine times out of 10, well, not that, that high, but often I find myself either I got my a safety harness isn't high yep. enough or low mm-hmm. enough or whatever, or maybe there was some sort of obstruction that we ended up clearing out of the way, you know, mm-hmm. especially if it's a, a set that you hadn't sat that year. So it's always good just to get in and, and draw back and figure out what your range of motion is. We do that a lot of times for the camera guy's sake as well, just so we get on the same page mm-hmm. before the moment of truth to figure out, all right, the camera guy's got a view here, here, and here, but I only got a view here and here or whatever the case and, is. And it's different when you're shooting at something that's eye level with you and yeah. you've got the sill of the, right. of the, the, the window, the blind there. Yeah. I've hit that a couple times and yeah. <laughs> sent arrows into, I don't know where they just vaporize. Yep. They yeah. just <laughs> go away, but you got to think about stuff like that. 
Well, and it is. And I think I think Matt probably said it best. I've sat in the blind and it was during that little practice session that I did that I realized my chair was maybe a half inch too far back. Yeah. And I made noise on the back of the blind. You heard a and all I had to do was move my chair a half inch. Well, lo and behold, when that shot presents itself, I'm dead silent coming there. So it's just an ounce of prevention. You know, it's poised for, for action. Mm-hmm. Is, is there anything that you can do to your blind DWR coatings or anything to help improve the life of the fabric? Because that UV light degrades pretty much everything. Well, the, the problem with the blinds now, as we move forward in this grandiose mass production of them, the blinds are all being printed with what's called heat transfer printing, HTP. And when you do that, you get this beautiful rendition of the camo pattern. However, it's going to turn blue. It's going to turn red. That Those colors are going to migrate right away. Sorry about that noise past, going past the building there. Um, but with the heat, with the wet transfer print, you're going to have some fading. There's some UV killer stuff out there that's worth it, you know, to take a look at. But what you do, what don't want to do is hit it with a camp dry or anything like that, mm-hmm. because what you're doing is you're adding more chemicals to this. And right now we're wanting to make this ascent free and, and last as long as we can. And we don't know when we're applying things, how it's going to interact with the chemistry of the nylons or the polys or the cotton canvas ducts on there. You know, so that, that's one thing neat about the Infinity line that we've got coming out. We're using a 600 denier polyester, and that polyester is super, super tough on that. So it's one of those things that it's going to live, and that net system is going to live. Okay. So last night, kind of migrating away from ground blinds, last night my daughter and my son and I sat down to bedtime, and we read a book about a buck named Spider. No, this is something that I'm interested in because obviously I have a, a young son and daughter as well, and and you've been talking about it. This is a new project that uh, you took on personally, right, Keith? Yeah, this this thing is it's been a an unbelievable project that I, I did. I made it my this was my goal. It, it's emotional because. When I sold the Primos in 2007, I was on board with them, and I started becoming privy to numbers that were frightening. And those numbers were the aging uh, age going up in our hunting class. And what that meant to me was less and less youngsters were getting involved. And at that time, I had a one and a three-year-old, and I would be reading them Monsters, Inc., Sound Books, or Cars, Inc., any of these Disney or Pixar. And they just wanted to keep pushing buttons and pushing buttons. Well, I came up with this grandiose plan that I would build two stories to start off with just two archery stories, a deer and a turkey that took this little boy and I called him Drake. Uh, my son's name's Blake, but it, it was Drake's Adventures. And it's got eight wonderful sounds and it tells the story and the illustrations are absolutely tremendous. And it walks these children through this where they're pressing the buttons and they're hearing a bird gobble and they're hearing fly down cackles and deer grunting and snorting, just depending on the the, the book that you're reading. But I wanted to do it because I wanted to bridge the gap and people don't understand this. So I'm asking you all to pay attention to this. There are great programs out there for our children. You know, the NASP, Green Wings, um, Jake's program. They're great once the 
kid is enough to participate. But if you look at it and you think about zero when they're born to when they're six years old and old enough to participate, there's very little for them other than us dragging them along. And that's what I do with my kids. But there's nothing to immerse them in that. Mm -hmm. We're fighting video games and screen time. We're fighting a very busy schedule where everything that we do is just planned out and we're not sitting down and we're not reading to the children. We got to think systemically. And that's what I preach. I'm doing a GoFundMe page. I don't know if I could say that or not yeah to not to get donations it, it, it's i'm exchanging it for both of these books it's a gift set you know i i have half my inventory i threw everything in my world at this project i houses for sale farm sold okay i have thrown everything i have at this this project means so much to me that i'll give it all up just to see more and more kids get involved you know, as we read to them when they're one and they're two, all of a sudden they start asking, can we go with daddy? Can we go out there? You know, what we tend to forget in our world is how we learned. You know, our brothers came back or our dads came back or our grandpas and aunts and uncles. They told these stories. You know, there's a story of the deer, this big deer. And oh, wow, dad, you killed the super giant. And why you shot the turkey and the ducks boiled in? That, that took us because we weren't scatterbrained and we didn't have nine million silver squirrels running around all at once like we do in today's time. But we've got to slow down and we've got to do that. I'm a parent. I'm a parent of a 13 and 11-year-old. And I know that if I didn't constantly immerse my children in the great outdoors, that it might not be that same situation. Matt, you can explain it with your dad. Yeah. He's been in this industry forever you're going to be in this industry forever. Yeah, there's a bunch of us, but not everybody's in the industry, you know, and that's what we have to do is everybody's got to slow down. We have to not only read to your children, it's a proven fact that if you read to your child by the time they're like 13 months old, they're already pre-programmed. So you're, you're going to benefit by reading to your child. You're going to bond with your child, whether it be a grandparent, a niece, a nephew, or your own kids. But on that same token, we're immersing them in, in our, our industry. And that's what we have to have if your children, my children, and their children are going to hunt. And that, that's why I'm doing this program is because I need more people. You know, I have, I have 10,000 sets of these books, The Deer and the Turkey, half of my inventory that I started with. I've run out of resources to get it going. That's why I, I, I love the idea of you guys inviting me on here, not only to answer some questions, but you guys have a voice. And that, that's what we need. We have to have a voice in this industry. And I'm hoping that someday that my 13-year-old boy is that voice Oh, we still got you. Oh, now we don't. And now we don't. Give me one second. See if I can get him back. <clears throat> okay. Oh, that's a jam. Wow, you got me back there. Yeah, we got you back, Keith. I don't um, know. It went. It went dead on me. So I, I, I will stay one more. One more little thing on my soapbox. Um, we're the voice, you're the voice, but what you guys share here and the people that listen to it, they have to be that voice too. Our, our industry has to be strong. Our, our industry has to be a powerful substrate, but it also has to pass down honors and traditions. And that's what we have to do. That's what you guys have showed us, you know, think about all the people you affect, you know? That's what we have to do with our little children, too, is we have to affect them. That's going to grow this industry. And that's something that's not been done. You know, you look at the numbers and I can show you numbers that are frightening. The amount of kids getting involved is really declining and the age of the 
hunter mm-hmm. is, is uh, really um, growing. And I so. can attest to it. It's with, with a four-year-old and a two-year-old, it's, it's tough to, especially if you live in the suburbs, you're not in rural areas or it's not really easily accessible. Um, it's, it's hard to get them interested in that. They have an interest, but you have to nurture the interest level, you know, exactly. and to, to help mm-hmm. it grow. It's just like a, a, a plant. You plant, put the seed in the ground, you got to water yep. it. And uh, it, that's the tough part. So I, I love the idea of the book and the books, plural. And um, I think it's great what you're doing because it's, it's very alarming how quickly our license, hunting license numbers, which is about the only way we really have to tell what our hunting numbers are, mm-hmm. the decline is sharp. And in the last five, 10 years, it's rapid. So, um, do, do I think hunting's going to go away? No, there's still plenty of rural areas where it's a lifestyle. It's a, it's, it's a way of life, but boy, the, 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 the outskirts, the outreaches of it, the, the suburbs, the, mm-hmm. those are the yep. areas where those are the kids and the areas where that decline is sharp and, and not gonna return unless we, actively try to recruit as a group actively is the key word. And yeah. I, and I think Keith, the, the way that you're the, the way that your GoFundMe page is set up and, and we'll make sure that we link up to this in the show notes is that people can let you know where they want these books sent. So they, they could put in a hundred dollar donation and say, send these to the, these four doctor's offices in town yep. or wherever a daycare center or any place, because most people that are, that are within the sound of our voice are already on the program. And yeah. we're already, our kids are on their way to becoming outdoorsmen and women. It's the kids that don't have parents who are involved or family members who really need to hear this. Well, there, there's, there's a twofold year. That was brilliantly said. You know, think about it. If you have a brother and you have a niece and a nephew that live in the inner city and your brother's never going to hunt and you don't know that if you send those books to them, that when they read them at night, maybe they will take up hunting or maybe maybe it's just a vote or a voice down the road. Yeah. Maybe when they're having a conversation with a bunch of college students and they're 20 years old and somebody's bashing hunting, maybe since they were read to Drake's Adventures, maybe they immerse themselves in this and listen to Uncle You. Maybe they'll say, hey, 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 honey's not that bad. Honey's good for you know the nature. It's good for conservation. So you don't know systemically if that voice is going to get stronger. There's a great possibility, but I can promise you that voice will not get stronger if we don't immerse our children in it. We have to think systemically. We have to think big picture down the road. Well, and you think about all the cartoons that kids get to watch. They are all anthropomorphic characters. They're all animals that act like people, friends, and yeah. And no one wants to shoot. And a, nobody's hunting one since Elmer Fudd. <laughs> right. Yeah, we had to bring right. Elmer Fudd back. <laughs> and that was a bad, that was a poor example he was not, of a He hunter. did not identify his targets. <laughs> so. Um, and so, so we, there's almost kind of an ingrained anti-hunting bias to most cartoons because they're making animals like no one wants to shoot a Care Bear. Because they're well, yeah, think bears. about it. Even beyond that, when they show a hunter, to my point, Elmer Fudd or or, or Gaston on uh, Beauty and the Beast, they're always you know Bambi, the villain. It's always the villain. Mm-hmm. So you you, yeah. it, we already got them, you know, stacking up against us. Right. We don't have brownie points to work with there. So one one of the things that I really appreciate about the Drake's Adventures books uh, is the um, the headphone jack on the side, Keith. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so you so you can hear my voice as your as your kids turn the pages. I narrate the whole thing to them. So yes. my so my kids can listen to it when they choose to, like in yep. the car, and I can focus on a conversation with my wife or something. <laughs> You're saying what? Well, here's what he's saying: His kids yeah. can listen to it, and he can tune you out, Keith. <laughs> that see, that's perfect. That's another and, way and of saying most it. Most of the world would like to do that. In <laughs> fact, there's probably some of them watching right now that are like, "Holy cow! Let's let's just mute." <laughs> <laughs> no, but but it, it's a quality book. It's it's published well. It, the sounds are cool. The features on it are pretty sweet. So for twenty five bucks to get both of them or ship them wherever you want, it's a, it's a pretty sweet setup. You know that that's the thing too, and I think you said it maybe to four doctors' offices. We we're not thinking big picture when we go. Oh, my kids are grown up. I don't need to buy these books. Yeah, yeah, you do. There's kids that are all around this world that, like you said are getting immersed in that cartoon character, it's not necessarily helping our industry. This is our chance to fight it a little bit. This is our chance to go, you know what? If you're going to read a sound book, is, is Monsters, Inc. or Cars going to help grow our industry? There's maybe Drake's Adventures or maybe hearing a turkey gobble where there's a fly-down cackle or, or purn and clucking. Maybe it's rattling of the antlers. You know, the only way that we fight and fight and make ourselves stronger is to put all the resources in the right direction. And that was my whole thing with Drake's is I gave up my career in this industry to focus on this project because I don't want this industry to die. Mm. I really don't. That's why I did this. Yeah. You can tell you've uh, you've invested a lot, and it's not just the industry; it's a part of our culture, heritage. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's the honors and traditions. Mm-hmm. Well, right. speaking of honors and traditions, <laughs> the tradition of the it's not an honor. I'll tell the, you that. <laughs> the, the wildlife word for the week is pareidolia. That's nice. a <laughs> Keith, do you know what that means? Uh, pareidolia. No, Best I don't. Guess. But I'm going to learn it right okay. now. So, and this has probably happened to most of us as hunters, it's the tendency to interpret vague stimuli or objects as something known, like seeing a log in the distance in the woods and being convinced that it was a deer mm. or seeing a red flower in the woods and you just know that it's a turkey. That happens to me every hunt, actually. That's, that's looking, pareidola. Yeah. Pareidolia. Pareidolia. Close okay. enough. You'll never use the word, but now you know there's a word that's associated with I'm that. I'm experiencing pareidolia because I thought that was a rabbit, but it's just a clump of clump of weeds. Yeah, but it does literally happen to you every time. It does in the morning, or it's you know dark out. It seems like you, dusk is always yeah. like like even stuff that you've been watching all day, but some at dusk that trunk that's laying on its side suddenly becomes a twelve point buck that you just yeah. know is about to walk in. <laughs> Pareidolia, wildlife order of the week. Boom. I got it. We need a sponsor yeah. for this. Well, maybe it's uh, Drake's Adventures. <laughs> <laughs> right. This week's That's wildlife it. word brought to you by Drake's Although, Adventures. There may not be, it may be in product only. Right. Yes. I'm going to help you guys with this. We're going to, we're going to donate Drake's Adventures. Yes. We need lots of help. There no, you go. I, I, cool. 
Cool. Well, we appreciate your time today, man. It's uh, that I didn't know, you know, quite the level of detail that that went into uh, Double Bowl. That that cool was story. pretty awesome. Yeah. That was a cool story. So I appreciate you going back in time and sharing that with us. And of course, great work with uh, with the book. And and of course, it's you know something that we all need to be cognizant of and and uh, really trying to be active about uh, bringing someone new in our in our. Uh, beloved sport. You, I will bring the books tomorrow and I'll read them to you. I would love that. <gasps> we'll <awesome>. film it. <laughs> <laughs> I really love it. Yes. <laughs> It'll be great. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you, Keith. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so very much. I really appreciate it. Keep it going. Yeah. Our right. pleasure. Have a good day. And if you want to be like Timothy and send us a question that we'll answer on air, just go to dreoutdoors.com slash podcast, and we will endeavor to get that question answered on air. Also, make sure that you're checking the show out on DeerCast or subscribing wherever podcasts are listened to. You know, that's a funny thing you say that because the other day I saw somebody was uh, commenting. I don't, it was on social media and they said, man, I didn't, I didn't think you guys were still doing the podcast. Because when Mark Kenyon left, that that was version weird, of the podcast is it's the hundred percent wild yep. podcast. And if you're subscribed to that, you it has just stopped. I mean, there, there's nothing else that's gone on there. Well, we have the Jury Outdoors 100% Wild podcast. That's when Tim got involved, and it got um, well for. For better or worse, really that's good. when Tim got involved. And uh, so you got to make sure and subscribe to the Drury Outdoors version of the 100% Wild podcast. And right. Of course, our good buddy Mark Kenyon still doing great things over at Wired to Hunt. And uh, he's teamed up with the guys at Meat Eater. But uh, so I just want to clarify that. Get on the I active did, feed. Yeah, I did see somebody say that just uh, last week. So you got to be on the active on the active version. And of as always, check us out on YouTube at uh, the Jury Outdoors YouTube page, DOD TV. We're hammering out some cool videos and content at all times. And mm-hmm. uh, big news for us, got a new version of DeerCast coming out. And July. it's going to be pretty phenomenal. Yeah, the track feature yeah. is going to be awesome. Even more awesome once we get into the fall and people start killing deer and really using it to save their hunts. Yeah, so it's it's you know for as cool as the deer cast prediction was last year and that feature and we've made it even better. We've tweaked it and and, and made it better for season two here. I think people are going to enjoy deer cast track even more because mm-hmm. it's interactive. You can touch uh, anywhere in the deer where you feel like your hit was, yep. and then a library of videos come up from from our content. Uh, over the years and Mark and Terry talk about quartering away, quartering two, what you should do. But more importantly, we have Bobby Culbertson from Terra Wildlife, the head guy down there, tracked hundreds of deer and tracker John Engelkin, who has helped us he tremendously. He tracking. literally, that's his profession. Yeah. And we get their expert opinions and they are experts, two best trackers we know. So to see these comments uh, and the input from these guys on each individual hit, it's pretty spectacular. And the studio, the edit staff here is doing a phenomenal job. They the graphics really department, And it looks awesome. So you're going to really want to check that out. And uh, that's the big thing for 2000. 2019 that we're super excited about. Here it comes. It's almost here. Season's upon us. Yeah. Make sure you're updating DeerCast as those things come available. All right. Until next time, enjoy. Hopefully it's dry where you're at and uh, you're getting cameras out. You're getting your stands, your lanes trimmed and you're doing all your prep work and you're getting ready for the season. Seeing some velvet. All right. Take it easy. Until next time. Peace out.